Frank Network. Content on this production is for entertainment and informational purposes only. It is not medical advice, nor is it intended to substitute medical treatment or diagnosis. Seek medical help if you believe that you are suffering from a mental illness or are a threat to yourself or others. By using any or all of the information provided, you do so at your own risk. Any application of the material is at the listener's discretion and is his or her sole responsibility. Hey everybody, Doc Bryan here and welcome to Doc Talks, where we talk about people's troubles, trials, tribulations, and hopefully triumphs in life. And today I have a very special guest all the way from Virginia, uh, Miss Robin. I'm going to try. Is it Fouts? You got it. Yes. Good. Okay. Robert, uh, Robin Fouts. And uh, you may have seen her on TikTok or Instagram or, or just about probably anywhere, but she has a very, very heart-wrenching story uh, that she's going to share with us today uh, about her son. But uh, typically we start at birth and where you've been and all that kind of stuff, but I, I think it would be prevalent, more prevalent here to start at where you met your husband, you know, what, what did he do that just won you over or did you have to win him over? Or, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I actually was uh, leading a... Um or hosting a women's Bible study in my home. And we were all women who've kind of been through a lot in our lives. And we just were gathering. And one of the girls that was in my group was like, hey, let's go have some dinner one night. So we went and had dinner. And while we're sitting at the dinner table, she said, how do you know this guy, Nate Fouts? Mm -hmm. And she said, I see your friends with him on Facebook. And I said to her, well, the only reason why I'm friends with him on Facebook was because I was writing a, a blog post about several blog posts about my life and some of the struggles I had been going through at that time. And he was commenting on some of my posts underneath a friend, a friend who had posted it. So mm -hmm. we were just having some of these little conversations. And I said, so I don't really know. We're just friends on Facebook. And, uh, so um, she said, well, he is such a great guy. She said, he is an amazing father. He's a single dad. He is a drummer. She said he used to have this band called Room. Actually, they were just listed in Relevant Magazine. I don't know. It's a, a, as one of the top early 2000 bands. He's just a, a, had a really great band. And then he also toured with another band called Good Charlotte. Um, they're well known, more of us in that secular world of uh, great music and pop, pop punk uh, was their style. So he toured with them. And, and so I was like, huh, well, it's not like me. I'm, I've always been the, the kind of girl that's like the guy chases the girl. You know, that's just how, how I grew up in my Southern views. <laughs> And, um, but I thought, you know what, I'm going to just message him on Facebook. And so I did, I messaged him. I said, Hey, I'm sitting here with our, our mutual friend, Kelly. And she said, you are such a great guy. And literally Dr. Brian, he responded just like immediately. And then we started talking and talking, talking. We talked that Saturday, just on messenger on Facebook messenger and uh, talked all the way through Sunday morning. I was going to go to church and then um, my oldest got, my oldest son got sick. And so we decided to, I decided to stay home. Well, that was when I said, um, Hey, is it hard? Cause we were both single parents. Um, I said, is it hard to be, um, to find it, to date while you're a, a parent? And, uh, and he said, Yes. And then immediately he went into, he said, listen, I did not want to do this on messenger. I've been trying to connect with you face to face. I know we work out at the same gym, but he said, now, did you know that? Did you know? I didn't. Well, I did because you know why? Because I messaged, I posted on his Facebook wall, wall one day. I said, Hey, I think I saw you at the gym today. I didn't know this until after we got together, but he said he started going upstairs through where the uh, elliptical equipment was. He said, I will go up there looking for you, trying to find you, <laughs> you know? And uh, he had already Facebook stalked me. Mm. And um, he said, I, I really felt like I really wanted to meet you. 
And uh, so that day in that message, he said, can we just go grab a cup of coffee? And I, I said, I remember saying this and typing it out. Really? Question mark, question mark. And he said, yes, really. <laughs> and I said, okay, let's do this thing. That was when how we met. And then our first date was the following Friday. And we just connect. We just talked for hours. It just, he felt safe. Mm. If that's, he felt emotionally safe. And I have never felt that way. And he just listened and, and vice versa. We just connected. And that was the start of our relationship. Yeah. And, and you know, I hear that a lot of this person makes me feel safe. And, and if you don't have that in a relationship, I don't think you have a relationship. Um, and, and if you're in a relationship and don't feel that way, you probably shouldn't be in that relationship. So he was looking for you when you found him, that kind That's of, exactly right. kind of yeah. deal. and it's, you know, it's funny is he told me, he said, I, I looked at our mutual friends on Facebook and he said, I thought to myself, he said, I literally prayed this God, if you could take one of her mutual friends on Facebook and connect us, well, Little did he know I wasn't friends with Kelly on Facebook. <laughs> she was just in my community group in my at, that met in my home. And so it was really he he said how cool God is in that moment, how it wasn't one of the 11 mutual Facebook friends. It was uh, somebody in my in my group that I had at my house. So it was wonder. It's been, you know, it was a wonderful whirlwind of an experience with him. It felt it felt right. So, was right. so how long from, from dating did you get engaged and then married? Well, it was really quick. <laughs> <laughs> um, so our first date was that Friday and that was the first weekend in March. After that, we just spent a lot of time together and it was July of that same year. He proposed. So March to July. And then we eloped in October. <laughs> and there you are, August, I'm sorry, October 27th, 2011, 10-27-11 is our anniversary. Wow. Yeah, my wife's, uh, I say my wife's anniversary because anniversaries are, weddings and anniversaries are all about the woman anyway. So uh, our anniversary is 12-11-10. So it's, and we didn't do that on purpose. It just oh, wow. happened that way. Uh, yeah. But it's easier for me to remember. So uh, mm -hmm. it all worked out. Now you well, mentioned- my husband has a has a watch tattoo on his wrist that uh -huh. has our anniversary 10, 27, 11. Well, so. <laughs> that's, uh, that's very genius on his way to, <laughs> but he can't ever forget uh, an anniversary because he'll really be in trouble then. That's exactly right. So you mentioned uh, he was a single dad and you were a single mom at that point. Uh, so you had one kid and he had one kid or? No, I had two boys. Okay. Uh, at that time, gosh, they were 12 and 11. They're actually Irish twins. So I had one and then three months later, I had another one. And they're the same age for five days in the month mm. of July. <laughs> yeah, my I have two boys and they, they're my buddies. Yeah. And mm -hmm. then he had? One daughter. One daughter. Yep. Okay. And so, but now you have five children total, just five? Yeah. We didn't have any children together. Okay. Now, but it is a blended family. Yes, sir. Okay. What was the, what was that like with, with your family and friends and his family? Was there any type of issue there? You know what? There wasn't. Um, and I think because people saw our, my family, we are very uh, deeply faith-based, but I think they saw the challenges and the struggles of both of our previous marriages and they were extremely supportive. And actually, um, for me personally, um, going through the my own divorce and the journey after that, um, I think I was harder on myself than the people around me were. I felt like I failed. And even after that, I was very committed to getting counseling. I had amazing Christian counselors and pastors in my life that I met with on a rate on the regular to make sure 
that if there are things in my life that I, I don't want to carry that baggage to the extent that I had into any of my next relationships, but I also wanted to find me. And I, I know that you've probably deal with this in your own counseling, but divorce is hard. Mm-hmm. It's horrible. You know, I think people want to make the assumption that it'll be easier after. And and maybe in some cases it is. In my case, I struggled finding who I was after that. Because at that time I was a stay-at-home mom. I was homeschooling my kids. You know, I was trying to be that Pinterest mom, you know, and I was doing it all by myself, really loved being a mom. But after the divorce, then I had to get back into the work field. And then I had face this, I'm no longer a married woman. And who am I now? And and so it was just a, it was a hard time, but it was a very healing time. And I really took the steps to find out who I was in God, mm-hmm. in the Lord from, you know, after such a heartbreaking situation and circumstance. And that took time. And so when Nate came along, he had kind of been in the same position. He had uh, really turned his life around at that point. He, you know, grew up in such a solid home, solid beliefs. His parents had been together for, you know, 50 years. We just celebrated their 50th year anniversary. Amazing, amazing people. They saw the heartache that he had gone through. And he was kind of the black sheep of the family at that time. He was just kind of the oddball, I guess what I would say, of the family. Just everybody you know, his whole family, they work at um, Liberty University. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that's right here where we live. I knew Dr. Falwell. Yeah. Very well. Yeah. So did my mm-hmm. in-laws knew yeah. really well. And uh, so, you know, Nate was a drummer and then he gets into the rock and roll world. You know, he starts at Liberty and, you know, doesn't finish because he's trying to become a drummer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but you can't trust drummers. You know that, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. He's tattoos and, you know, just real edgy. But his family loved the heck out of him through all the pain that he went through. They were just so authentic and supportive and never, I don't think, ever made him feel judged. And they never made me feel judged either. Actually, when I actually when I came into the picture, they were super grateful, I think, because this is the kind of relationship that they had been praying for their son their whole lives, right? His whole life. It's just was, it's been precious to have that kind of support system, even, even to this day. Yeah. Now I I have counseled with, with several women and men who were divorced. and, And one of the common themes that I hear is that they say, I feel dirty. And, and my response to that is, it's not that you feel dirty, it's that you don't know who you are and that this identity that you had, you no longer have it anymore. And yeah. so we kind of got to regroup and figure out who we are. And, you know, just to be completely frank with our, our listeners, if you don't know who you are, your relationship's not going to work. I mean, it's just not going to work. Whether you know who you are as an individual or whether you know who you are in Christ is not going to work. And, you know, we can't we can't trust our our partners to show us who we are. We've got to find that for ourselves, especially within the church. And I, I heard you say the word failure is that, you know, you felt like a failure, but you didn't really fail because you learned a lot. You, you learned a lot of what wasn't supposed to be. Yeah. I had to believe that I was lovable mm-hmm. again. And I think that that is a hard journey to believe that after you've gone through a divorce, that you're lovable. And I think that's even hard, even without having to go through a divorce mm-hmm. for some. But, you know, for I think as a woman in our society, it's so hard. I mean, I had had two children, you know, I wasn't in my twenties, right. I'm in my mid thirties and I'm thinking to myself, 
am I even lovable? And I think as someone who believes in and follows Jesus, I had to understand that ultimately my identity is being loved by him and that I am so loved to the point that Jesus himself died for me. Mm-hmm. And that was such, even though I knew that, right? So we know that, but there was a moment when I remember I was sitting in my room on my knees, literally just kind of laying there feeling like there's just no way I can get out of this funk that I'm in. I'm just in this funky place. There's no way. And I remember just, ha- you know, I was reading the Bible and I was having this moment where I literally saw Jesus in my mind's eye, in my, you know, just in my imagination, dying on the cross and looking at me saying, I did this for you. Mm-hmm. Like, I love you, Robin, so much. And in that moment, it was like, you know, I have never had anybody in my life die such a gruesome death, put themselves in harm's way to that extent, to that level of torture and pain and emotional oppression like Jesus did. It was this like this deep heartfelt revelation in that moment. It wasn't just here. It really rooted itself in my heart. And it was like a shift then happened in me. Yeah. And I believe in that moment, I'm lovable. I'm lovable. Whether in the faith or not in the faith, I think that's what a lot of people just struggle with on an everyday basis is, am I lovable? Am I even worth having things to be happy. Yeah. You know, I I have to say that even I have had those thoughts before of, am I, am I lovable? Am I worth all the, and then I look back at all the things that have happened in my life and go, well, if I was worth getting through that, then I have to be worth getting through this. You know, the old saying, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Uh, I don't know that that's not necessarily true, but up to this point, nothing has killed you. You know, and so if you've made it through all those things, we can make it through through this next day. And uh, I had a young lady one time, she came to me uh, as I was a pastor of a church, and she came to me as her pastor or as the pastor. And she said, I know that I need to give my life to God, but I just don't know why he would want it. And I said, well, because he he wants you. And so then she said, I was a prostitute for years. I sold myself for drugs. I've been arrested numerous times. I have five children that were taken away from me. Uh, The man I'm living with now, I'm not married to. And just went down this laundry list of things why she couldn't be loved. And, And I said, well, let me just pray with you that God would show you that you can be loved. And, um, I prayed with her. She was there Sunday morning and she came forward to pray at the end of the service, and she said, I just want you to know that I figured out why God wants to love me. And I said, okay. She said, because he wants to. Mm. And it was that simple. Yeah. You know, because he wants to. Uh, and uh, she she shared her testimony with the church and was not a dry eye in the place. It was just, you know, and, and we forget that. Why are we lovable? Because we deserve it. We, why do, okay, if we're not lovable, then why do we deserve to be respected? Mm-hmm. You know, it's our inherent right to be respected, just like it is our inherent right to be loved. Moving forward, now you have your two boys, he has his girl. And how long were you married before? I'm, I'm assuming the accident that took place with your son was after you were married. Is that it right? Was. Yes. So, so how long after you were married did did the accident take place? So uh, we were married October 27, 2011, mm-hmm. and it was August 5th, 2012. So not we were not even married a year. Wow. Yeah, it was August 5th. It was just right after we had celebrated everybody. It was my birthday, July 28th. And so we had just that weekend 
celebrated my birthday. The boys' birthdays are in July too. So we kind of just threw a big party mm-hmm. uh, with all of our family and celebrated all of our July birthdays. Yeah, his accident happened August the 5th. And so, yeah, we celebrated our one-year anniversary in the hospital with mm-hmm. Elisha. Now, if you if you would kind of uh, lead us through what happened to Elisha. You know, Elisha's always, he is, even if you see him today, he's this, this sweetheart. I mean, and he's always been that way. He just has this sweet personality, wants to make you smile, wants to make you laugh. That's how he's always been. And he and his brother, he's very athletic. He was very athletic at the time. And he and his brother always rode their bikes. And we lived kind of in a, uh, you know, in, in a neighborhood and there was a church around the corner and they would ride on the sidewalk. It's not like they were riding on the street. They would ride on the sidewalk and go down to the playground. Well, it was Sunday night. Uh, we had decided we're, it was going to be um, that weekend we'd celebrate our birthdays. And then Sunday night we said, let's just do family time. And so our oldest son, Josh, he cooked us spaghetti. He made it. He did it all. It was really great. And then after dinner, they were like, hey, mom, can we go ride with our neighbors down the street? And I was like, sure, I'm going to sit at the at the at um, on the sofa in the living room. I'm going to put together some uh Pictionary for tonight because when you guys come back, I don't want you to be long because we, you know, we're gonna have family game night. And uh, so they decide to go ride bikes, and I'm sitting on the sofa and I decide I'm gonna do Old Testament Bible stories. This is what I'm I tell myself. So I start writing down um Noah's Ark, you know, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, just writing all this stuff down. Joseph is coat of many colors, and then I wrote down the story. I wrote down Abraham and Isaac Mm. and I really felt led to pull up on my phone, a synopsis of that, like just to go back to that story. I mean, I literally felt led to do that. I pull it up and the synopsis said that Abraham had unwavering, unshakable faith. And I believe it's going back to that, uh, those verses in Romans where he had unwavering, unshakable faith that he knew, that he knew, that he knew God was going to raise his son up if he had, if he had to sacrifice or that he would spare him. He just knew there wasn't any uh, shaking of his faith. It was unshakable. And I've read that and it like really spoke to me. And even that day, I do want to back up a little bit. Even that day, it was like the sermon that Sunday morning was about um, going through struggle and praising God and how Paul and Silas praised God in the prison and how they were still so eternally focused, even in their struggle. So that it was really remarkable that that was that message. Then we're driving home, going to lunch and Josh, my oldest is like, mom, how do we know God is real? This is what he asked me, my 12 year old, right? And Elisha, in his, he had this little sweet, high-pitched voice at the time. He said, I know Jesus, God is real because because he created the sun, the moon, the stars, and blue jeans. <laughs> <laughs> it was just so sweet and pure. And I told Josh, I said, I can point you to scriptures and we can talk historical context. You know, we I could do that all day with you, Josh. But I said, you know, it's almost as if God has to become real to you. Maybe for you, Josh, there's an experience that you might have to have and you should see God show up mightily. And he's just pondering that, you know? So that happened. That was the conversation. And then now back, I'm sitting at the, on my sofa and I'm reading about Abraham and Isaac and probably a few minutes later, maybe five minutes, the door knocked. One of the boys that was with Elisha said, Elisha got hit by a car. Mm. I don't know what I thought in that moment. I, I remember going, well, yeah, but it won't be that bad. It won't be, it's not, it's not bad. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was barefoot. Nate was barefoot. He's running, you know, cause they're about two and a half blocks down. I'm running. Nate gets there kind of around the corner Nate gets there before me and I see him 
It's always this moment when I share the story where I get a little emotional. It's okay. I see him leaning down towards Elisha. And Elisha's just, he's laying in a puddle of his own blood Mm. in the road on his side. He had his arms kind of crossed. I have a picture of him when he was a kid where he slept like that. And I looked at him and Nate looks at me and he says, just don't come any closer. And I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think I know why, but I listened to him and I, I'm not sure that that's the right approach, right approach. Right. I say that loosely. What is the right approach? Um, but I literally just turned and looked up to heaven in that moment. And I said, God, I trust you. I lifted my hands and said, God, I trust you. I don't remember all that happened. Um, I've had some first responders after that, after the accidents reach out to me and say they have never, and this blows their mind. This is what uh, I spoke at an event, a, a women's event a couple of years ago, or at a ch- actually at a church and was sharing. And one of the first responders was there and he said, I have never felt the peace of God in such chaos like I did that day. I, he said it was so weird for him. And he said, you were going around just praying like, God, he will live and not die. We just, we were just, it was just like, I was praying that and I didn't even know what I was praying. And I just was quoting scripture. I was like, God, you, I, I remember thinking of Jeremiah 29, 11. I was just holding on to those words. Like, God, I know the thoughts that you think towards Elisha, thoughts of good and not evil thoughts to give him a, a future and a hope. And it was like all these scriptures started kind of like coming out. Um, and again, I don't remember everything. It was very surreal. I got into the car with one of the EMTs and I, I remember the, the radio was turned up and I turned it down and I just prayed. I was just kept praying. I was just praying and praying. We get to the hospital and Nate's like, do you want to come back? And I was like, I, I was like, I don't know what I want to do right now. I was like, I feel like I just need to get with God. Like, that's how I felt. I was like, where's my safe place? And it was with the Lord. And so I just started praying. And so Nate was back there. They were very cautious he couldn't go all the way back because they were really trying to stabilize Elisha, but he was there where the doctors could speak. So I was in a room and I remember the chaplain came in and he just looked, there wasn't a lot of hope because he kind of heard the diagnosis. And because there was no response, Elisha was, there was nothing. And, and, and also my oldest son was with him. I want to, I do want to say this, that my oldest son was with him and he tried to wake Elisha up, Mm. you know, so that day trauma hit my family. Absolutely. Right. So emotionally, psychologically for my oldest, and then obviously physically for Elisha. And uh, I remember Josh, even at the scene of the accident, he ran up to me just in tears. Mom, it's my fault. That's what he said. And I remember grabbing his face. I was like, I don't know what's going on, buddy. I was like, but it is not your fault. I said, I know. I know that I know God is going to come through some way. I know he is. That was the beginning of of healing for my oldest too. You know, he's finally, I think, at, I mean, we're talking nine years later, right? He's finally seen some real healing in his own life. That was a real challenging moment. And, I, and then he and I have had conversations even after that. I remember he came to the hospital and we went to lunch and I told him, I said, uh, I said, kiddo, I could blame myself all day long. Like, why did I let you guys go ride bikes? Why did I buy that bike? Why did I buy the house in that neighborhood? You know, all day long, I could blame myself if I wanted to. And I was like, but that's that, that only makes us feel defeated. 
and like victims. And I was like, and I believe that we're going to show the world. This is what I said to him. We are going to show the world how we overcome trial. Because see, that's what separates us as Christians, as believers. That's the part of it that says, what's different about you? Because I know that we're loved by God. No, he's doing something. There's something greater happening that I don't always get to see. So get to the hospital. The chaplain comes in. Nate's back in the back. And I'm just praying. I'm just praying. So the nurse, while I'm talking to the chaplain who doesn't, he said, where are you at? And I said, I'm standing in faith. That's where I'm at. And he said, okay, I'm going to do that with you. And then that's what he did. He Hmm. just prayed with me and prayed in faith. The nurse comes in. She says, you're going to want to say, we're going to put him on the helicopter. You're going to want to talk to him. Again, surreal is just really the only word I can describe. I mean, I walk outside. It's like foggy. It's dark. We're on the helipad. They're getting ready to put Elisha into the helicopter. He's laying on a stretcher, you know, strapped in. And I could see he's got, you know, dried blood on the side of his head. He just looks so cute. He's this little nose. I mean, just such a sweet face. I just leaned over and I said, baby, mama's here. You're going to make me cry. I'm sorry. (laughs) I love you. And I said, Jesus is going to come through. Mm -hmm. I don't know how, but he will. And so he, they put him on the helicopter. My husband My husband rode with him in the helicopter. And I remember being in my car and I was just holding on. I I wanted to drive. It was like, I felt like I could have something to control. Mm. I hate to say that, but that was like, I needed to control something. Right. You know, it was like a a coping mechanism for me. I wanted to, to, because I couldn't control this circumstance, right? I couldn't control the outcome. I couldn't control what was going on. And I remember, um, driving. And I was like, God, I want to be, I feel like I'm like Moses. I want to stand before you. And I just want to remind you of who you are. I want to, and not, and it was more me saying it to myself because I'm, God knows who he is. Mm -hmm. He's not an insecure God like we are, but um, he's not insecure at all. It's just, and so in that moment, I was like, I'm just reminding you of your word. I know who you are, that you are God, the God who heals you are, you called yourself that, that you called yourself Jehovah Rapha. I was like, and so I'm going to trust that. I know that you are the the Prince of Peace and I'm resting in that. I know that you are mighty. That And I just began to really just, I was declaring things. My mom was in the car with me. My, um, yeah, it was just my mom and I in the car and I was just holding onto that wheel driving. And it was like, I became enveloped in peace. It was crazy. I just felt like wrapped up in a blanket of peace. And I get to the hospital and little did I know, and I don't know if it happened at the exact same time or not, but my husband comes up to me at the same time I say this, I was like, I have a peace. It literally is a peace that passes understanding. That's mm-hmm. how it was. Like, I couldn't understand where this peace was coming from. Right. It's like, I have this over overwhelming peace. And Nate said, I was so nervous to tell you that I had this peace that God was going to do something really remarkable in the situation. And he said, I was nervous to bring it up because I just, you know, want you to process. I want you to feel. Sure. And he said, I don't know if it happened at the exact same time, me in the car, him in the helicopter. That's what he said. But he said, at that point, it was an equipping for what we were about to face. And, and I'm not going to lie and say, I didn't think, oh, in a minute, Elisha's going to rise up. That's what I thought. Completely mm-hmm. healed. Everything was going to be normal again. And, uh, but that same piece has stayed with us for the last nine years. I mean, that was the beginning, you know, our journey, really, that moment. And uh, little did we know what the diagnoses were. We, little did we know how many surgeries he would have to have. I mean, at that moment, Elisha 
we had found out, you know, maybe just a few hours later that Elisha had severe traumatic brain injury. He had had multiple strokes because of the trauma. He had a compound fracture in his leg where the car had hit him. What happened was, and his friends were racing right there by the park. They were in a parking lot. They were just racing and he lost control. He couldn't turn to get back on the sidewalk. I mean, they literally were in a parking lot that had no traffic and they were going to turning onto the sidewalk. And he went out right in front of a car. She couldn't see him because there were cars parked on the street. I mean, he just came out right in front of her. She wasn't speeding. She didn't do anything wrong herself other than just being at the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, she hit him on his, on his left side, hit his left leg, broke it, uh, compound fracture, exposed bone, obviously. He flipped over the car. He had a sh- brain shearing. Mm-hmm. So kind of like ba- baby Shagan syndrome. Right, right. So the, the nerve pathways kind of sh- sheared. Yeah, so he went, they had to put him into a medically induced coma. They had to remove a portion of his skull to let his brain swell. And uh, I remember our pastors coming and friends of ours showing up. And we had just, this was several years ago, our pastors uh, and his, our pastor and his wife are just dear friends of ours now, but we had just met them three days prior and they showed up at our, and he said, you know, we don't always do that. We don't, you know, and they did, they came and that was such a remarkable journey in and of itself, the, the friendship that we've kindled because of that. But I remember them coming in and my fr- our friends were there and I walk into the waiting room and I said, I need y'all to pull up your bootstraps and dig in with faith with us as a family. And so we did. And uh, we've just, we're here today. Yeah. So, so in those moments where you said you were praying and you're reminding God of his promises while you were speaking that in faith. Was there the psychological doubt going on in the back of your mind that, okay, yes, I'm speaking and God, I believe you can do this, but almost this reality setting in in the back of your mind and they were kind of at odds against each other. Absolutely. That's a, that's a great way to say it. I think that that's why I was so bold in it, you know, it's like just speaking to the doubt. Mm-hmm. I'll say this, as we went on in our journey, um, there was a time when we when we were down at a hospital down in Charlotte where Elisha had rehab and the psychiatrist on the hall of the uh, rehab unit, she struggled with us in our faith. Mm-hmm. She really struggled with it. She sent a chaplain in and she said, they're just delusional. And um, because at that time, Elisha was doing nothing. He was unresponsive. I mean, there was not a lot of movement happening, not a lot of response happening. So the chaplain comes in and he sits down and he looks at us and he says, the psychiatrist is really worried about you all. And I said, really? We just sat there and listened to some of the things that he said. And I asked him, I said, can I ask you a question as a chaplain? I'm not saying that my son is not laying there struggling with his issues. He is physically incapable right now of moving. He's unresponsive. There's nothing. I'm not saying I'm not seeing what's happening. I said, but isn't faith believing something you don't see? So is that delusion? Because I'm not saying I'm not not seeing reality. I'm just saying, I believe that God is bigger than my reality. That's what I'm saying. Right. There is a fine line between faith and delusion. Sure. Of course, I'm not defending that psychiatrist because I don't know them, but in these times of crisis, we really do got to make sure that that line's not being crossed either way because, you know, your brain as a coping mechanism can and this is going to sound bad, but it can rely on your faith to the point of where even to a person of faith is going to be a little odd. And so, yeah, I think it was very pertinent that you had that conversation with the chaplain to to be able to communicate where you were at physically and mentally 
within your faith. And I explained to him the piece that we got. I, I walked through the whole journey. Like, how is it possible that right before this, I'm reading Abraham and Isaac? I mean, there's just this, I have to believe God is not a God of coincidences, right? It's, there was this preparation for us. And so I I didn't feel delusional or think I was delusional in that moment. I really knew God was moving and that we saw it over and over again. I remember being in the PICU at UVA, University of Virginia here in Virginia. My husband said, since we have a piece, Robin, he said, we're just going to be mindful of the people on our hall. At that that same weekend, there was a young boy who was hit by a car. The same, yeah, he was younger. It's like a few days before Elisha's accident. Seven, I think, seven years old. And he ended up not surviving. Mm-hmm. What happened, I remember uh, it was the day that they told me that they were going to remove the portion of Elisha's skull. And again, here I am like, God, you told us we'd have, pe-, you know, and I, I had, again, it's like you have those moments of, ugh. But then it was like, I went out into the hallway and I literally fell on the floor in the hospital hallway and I was crying out to God. And as I'm kneeling on the floor in the hallway, right outside of the PICU, the doors open and the father of this boy comes out. I mean, and he's like, he's looking at me and he's walking to, I mean, I'm on the floor crying and he comes up to me, says, my son is dead. Mm-hmm. And I took that moment. It was like water was thrown on my face, you know, like this waking up. I stood up and I looked at him. I said, I don't understand. He's like, I don't have words to tell you that I understand why that happened. And I said, just know, just know that. And I even, and my husband came out at that time. I was like, but just, I just have to believe that God's in this somewhere. In all of this, that's what I have to believe. And my husband came out at that same time. He took over at that moment because, you know, I had been out there sobbing. I'm still like, I was wiping my face off and just trying to minister mm-hmm. to this dad. And uh, Nate began to pray over him. Just such a, you know, it kind of really pulled me out of that moment because, you know, Elisha did, his brain needed to swell and that would bring healing. It was a wake-up call for me in that moment. Right. Even well, if I grab a tissue. Oh, no, you're fine. Go right ahead. I'm sorry. Go right ahead. You know, I, I, I believe that, and not just, you know, whether you want to call it the universe or karma or however that works, uh, as a spiritual person, I believe that God directs our path. And that when God stepped out into darkness in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and said, let there be light, he knew that you would have to deal with what you dealt with. And he prepared us for those moments. Whether or not we reacted in the way that people think we should have reacted, that was, you know, a divine appointment that was going to take place. And even with my own problems that I've had and and have shared with listeners here, I really had to stand firm in the scripture of Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for the good of those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And it was through all of this that I really began to understand what James chapter one meant when he said, in all your troubles and tribulations, give thanks. Mm. And I'm going, okay, you know, and and we've talked about my son having open heart surgery. It was difficult, you know, Mm. in those moments. And, and I like to say that I'm a person of great faith, but I mean, there was a point where it got to peace, but then I got to questioning, am I supposed to have this peace? And then I kind of felt guilty that I did when other family members didn't. And so there is that, as I said, that that battle between what we know as our faith and our and then our flesh of what is really going on here. I think you're right. There's always that battle. And I think for me, one afternoon, the doctors came into Elisha's room. And I mean, I'm talking neuro, ortho, the PICU doctor. 
And then the room had like four nurses. I mean, it was just packed. So we're in this little hospital room on the picky floor. The neuro doctor looks at me. He takes his thumb and he presses it super hard right here. And I guess there's some sort of nerve mm -hmm. or just right here. And there's an expectation of some response. Right. There was nothing, absolutely nothing from Elisha. And he looks at me just with this look like, this doesn't look good. And I said, I know. I said, I know. And I said, I, I know it doesn't. And I said, I just need you to know how much I appreciate all that you've done. In that moment, again, it's like, it was like, either I was trying to speak to my own heart, or <laughs> I don't know if God was bringing up these, these words that helped to speak to my own heart, or if it was for them. But I remember saying, faith, is bigger than what I hear you saying. It's like faith is bigger than what I see. It's even bigger than what I feel. This little boy is going to baffle you. You know, it's kind of like this, you know, the look. It's mm -hmm. like, oh, mm-hmm. And I remember, I'm going to pull up the scripture. And it was out of the Amplified. I remember waking up. It was two, no, it's the very next morning. And I wake up early and I can't sleep. We're getting ready to go to the hospital. We're over there at the hospital at six o'clock. And I'm, you know, in my hotel room. I can see the hospital from my room. And I'm praying and just growing weary. I mean, we've been there for several days. We were in the hospital for a long time. And I had, I'd never say the word. I'd never say this kid's going to baffle you. I, that's just not something that I would say this kid will surprise you or, or whatever, but I said that in that moment, and literally, I'm taking my Bible. I'm just I had worship music on in my headphones. I'm kneeling in the living room of our little hotel suite, and my husband's in bed. It's probably about four thirty in the morning, and I was just like, God, I need to hear. And I, I'm not even lying. You do that thing. You flip the Bible open. I need a word, yeah. right? And he, I had my, it was my amplified Bible that I had. And he took me to first Corinthians chapter one, verse 19. And it says, for it is written, I will baffle and render useless and destroy the learning of the learned, the philosophy of the philosophers and the cleverness of the clever and the discernment of the discerning. I will frustrate and nullify them. And I, it was like that again. It reminded me, I just said this little boy's going to baffle these wise, learned doctors, right? And again, it was just God's continued, it just felt like confirmation. And so again, did Elisha jump out of the bed at that time? No. Was he completely healed? No. He has to this day, and even our doctors will say, baffled them. Right. You know, it kind of uh, makes me go back and think about the story of Naaman the leper mm. and how he was sent to the prophet to be healed. And the prophet said, okay, well, go dip in this whatever river it was, you know, seven times. And, and then the scripture says it made him so mad he tore off his clothes and had a fit and said, isn't there better waters than the one you told me to go into? And and all of this kind of stuff. And and in my mind's eye, I kind of think that Naaman expected him to just say, be healed, and he would be healed. But there had to be action put to his faith in order to, to receive. And I think that a lot of times that we expect things to happen a certain way, but that's not the plan. Mm -hmm. That's That's not the plan. And while our faith may be shaken, our faith is not removed. Mm -hmm. And so we see these things that happen over and over again, and you know you just kind of have to stop and say, "Okay, God, this isn't what I was expecting, but you have a plan. You have a plan, and I trust you." And and I think that's the part the part that people struggle with is is the what are your expectations? I think if you rest in the expectation that God's nature will always come through. Mm -hmm then you're not disappointed. Right, right. right? His character is always going to come through mm -hmm. in every circumstance if we lean into that. You know, right. he's just such a, he's so faithful. He's not a man that he would lie. Right. Right. He is who he says he is. And so 
it doesn't change that how you might feel. But I think that that's really what faith also is. I mean, yes, you can have the peace. And yes, in those moments, really have it. And I have, man, I, I can honestly say that I've had it. And I can honestly say that there are moments when I'm, I look at the situation and I'm like, all right, God, when, when, and then there are days where I'm like, and then why, why? And I have to pull myself back because if I'm constantly focusing on the why of it all, then I'm going to miss his character coming through. I'm going to miss the opportunities to show how good. And I think that that's why our lives right now are really impacting the people that are seeing us on TikTok or Instagram is because we're just choosing not to live in the why. We're resting in the character of God and trusting that he's coming through. And he is. I mean, the lives that are being touched by this story, I never expected this, never expected the reach that we have had. Yeah. Never. Absolutely. Well, we're going to uh, continue this conversation on Doc Talks DX. So I thank you for listening to Doc Talks today. And uh, Robin, I appreciate your willingness to share. Uh, this is not an easy story to share. And I can say in, in my own experience, the more that I told my story, it didn't get easier, but I began to see God working in different ways every time that, that something stuck out. So I'm Doc Bryan, and as we go into our diagnosis part about this, that episode will be on Patreon, Doc Talks DX with Dr. Brian Shepard, where we'll talk about a diagnosis that would uh, be considerable to this situation and talk about treatment and, and how Robin and her family coped uh, through this. So Robin, I, I appreciate you once again sharing your story with us, and, and uh, hopefully our guests will join us on the second part of this podcast. Robin, where can we find you at? Where can we find your family? Look us up at, at the Fouts family. That's our username on TikTok. That's our username on Instagram. And that's our username on Facebook. We usually have a page, uh, the Fouts family. So anywhere you type that in on social media, you should find us. And the Fou and Fouts is spelled F-O-U-T-Z. All right. Of course, we'll have all that information in the description of this podcast. And you can find me at the.brian.com and on Instagram, the underscore doc underscore Brian. Uh, of course, on my website, the dot Brian, there is a link at the bottom of the, that page for all of my social media. And feel free to follow us there. And we look forward to having you listen to us next time. Once again, please check out the second part of this episode, Doc Talks DX on Patreon. Doc Talks is a part of the Be Frank Network. You can hear all of our podcasts there at BeFrankNetwork.com. Again, thank you for listening today, and we will talk to you later.